Welcome to WCKS. My name is Michael Russell. I'm your host for today's episode. And as we've been going through a series on looking into progressive Christianity, I want to let you know that this will be the last of the five-part series that we've been going through as we're looking at an article or basing this series off of an article written by Alyssa Childers called Five Signs That Your Church May Be Headed Towards Progressive Christianity. Now, we have gone through four of those five signs. This will be sign number four, but the fifth part. I skipped four and five. I flipped them four and five. But we will be concluding this series. Um, I'm going to be reading a portion of that article from Miss Childers. And all of those links are in the description so you can follow up with them. But I have noted over the past several episodes and even ranted, which I will rant again today, about a call for us as born-again believers to really um, be careful in hypocrisy and in sin that we, we all struggle in. We all struggle in. We're all hypocritical in that respect. And we need to constantly be reforming around the Word of God, feeding ourselves, consuming the Word of God in order for the Holy Spirit to transform us by the Word of God, okay? And the Holy Spirit has enabled us to be able to overcome those sins that bind us. We have no excuse. We pray regularly, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, okay? So with that, we want to be like the Bereans out of Acts chapter 17 and pursue God's word and understand by the, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit what God's will is for us and to conform to that, humbly submitting to that. So continue and stick with me here as we get into this. I'll start with reading sign number four out of that article. And it reads, historic terms are redefined. There are some progressive Christians who say they affirm doctrines like biblical inspiration, inerrancy, and authority, but they have no, uh, but they have to do linguistic gymnastics to make those words mean what they want them to mean. And then she goes on and, and anecdotally quips a story that really is part of her book and what experiences she went through finding herself in a progressive church that was growing into a progressive church and it began to really attack her beliefs and and dismantle her confidence in these things that she was raised in believing about Christianity, these historical orthodox teachings that she had grown up with. And now all of a sudden they were deconstructing them in this class that she was invited to. The pastor was deconstructing them and she anecdotally brings up a story about that, not only in her book, but also in this article that she's trying to make a point of how they're redefining these terms. And I continue with the quote. I remember asking a pastor, do you believe the Bible is divinely inspired? He answered confidently, yes, of course. However, I mistakenly assumed that when using the word inspired, we both meant the same thing. He clarified months later what he meant. 
that the Bible is inspired in the same way and on the same level that many other Christian books or songs or sermons. This, of course, is not how Christians have historically understood the doctrine of divine inspiration. Another word that tends to get a progressive makeover is the word love. When plucked out of its biblical context, it becomes a catch-all term for everything non-confrontative or pleasant and affirming. Hmm. Comments you may hear, God wouldn't punish sinners. He is love. Or, sure, the Bible is authoritative, but we've misunderstood it for the first 2,000 years of church history. Or, it's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. It's our job to just love them. And I'll close the quote there. So one of the things I have discovered over the last several weeks as I've worked through this series on progressive Christianity is that this idea of acceptance and non-confrontation and not being critical of others permeates the movement. Our society <laughs> lives in the same world, the same place where if you so much as disagree with a public view or a person's uh, lifestyle, whether that be sexual orientation or any other practice within lifestyle, then you become a bigot or um, uh, non-tolerant, things, things of that nature, especially if you're Christian. Okay, then you become intolerant and you're, you're judgmental and, and things of that nature. Let me dig a little deeper in this concept that she brings out in the article by taking a quote out of her book. It says, quote, With, without most of us even realizing it, much of the current evangelical culture has become a cult of personality. As human beings, we tend to put people on pedestals especially pastors. We love strength. We are drawn to power. We innately want to follow the guy who will stand up for the truth and say what needs to be said, no matter the cost. And then she kind of subquotes in here, quote, he may be harsh, but he speaks the truth. Or he doesn't, mi he doesn't mince words. Or he has some rough edges, but so did Peter. These are all excuses people use to explain away the unbiblical or unethical behavior of some beloved church leaders. Okay? This rationalization sends wounded sheep into the arms of progressive Christianity, validated and accepted, but ultimately they will be left to bleed out, like someone who goes to the doctor to be treated for a flesh wound only to be given a hug and some comforting words, rather than stitches and antibiotics. It might feel nice at first, but with no real cure, the patient could lose too much blood, or the wound could fester and become infected. And I'll close the quote there. So I think in a balanced way, Miss, Miss Childers rebukes the church for its unbiblical approach, and we've talked about that, I've ranted about that on a number of these podcasts, that we as 
professing Christians need to strive to not be hypocritical. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to be the light and salt in the world. We need to go after those, as Jude says, snatch those that are destined to the fire and save them. They're dead spiritually. You've been given life spiritually. You have the words of life. So we need to take them. We are the ambassadors for Christ. We need to take those words out to the world and bring the gospel message to them that God and his grace would save them, would save them and give us the blessed gift of being the harvesters to bring in that good news, uh, bring in that harvest based around the good news of Jesus Christ. So she starts by kind of rebuking the Orthodox evangelical church in not handling the congregants well, the, the brothers and sisters well, and sending them out to find a church that will love on them. However, she also contrasts the what should be done with the progressive church, which is just to accept them and no confrontation, just be yourself and there is no challenge of sin and repentance. Okay? Neither are good. Neither are right. Remember the quote that I quoted maybe the last two episodes, if you listen to them, and it was from Martin Luther, who said, since we are at the same time both saint and sinner, and the church is full of people, the church is always in need of reformation around the word of God. Remember the key there is reformation around the word of God. So the, the word of God is the authority and we seek after it to learn where we are deficient, we are where we are sinning, where we are in error and we need to correct ourselves. We don't read the scriptures and say, well, I don't, I don't like that. So let's change the scripture. So it fits what I want. Or let's, uh, one story she told is um, about a progressive a preacher, whatever, was giving a testimony of a woman that she had been counseling with that tore out many sections of her Bible and ultimately was left with just a few pass you know, a few books of the Bible that she thought were the scriptures. That's that's good enough for her. This is all she really cares about is these. She tore out all the other stuff that was convicting or or talked about sin or or was negative. That isn't what we're called to do. In fact, we will find probably more areas that we need to repent in, that we need to transform in, but not for salvation. It's because of our salvation, which is by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his cross work, that we are even aware of the sinfulness when we read scripture. The spirit of God will convict us and say, that's what you're doing wrong and you need to change it and empower us to do so. And yet we also, as we mature and read scripture and pray and let the word of God wash over us, we will grow in our understanding of what it means to be Christ-like and change and resist those areas of sinfulness, those desires of the flesh. We will resist them. We will be mature enough to resist them and to not live in them, not walk in them. Okay. 
And because of all of that, we also learn to be gracious and loving and caring to those around us that are either non-believers or le uh, weaker, less mature believers that we need to build up, that are still walking in sinful ways or stumbling in those sinful things and struggling. And we work with them and we, we pray with them and we hold them accountable. We may even have to rebuke them, but not to bring condemnation and, and just repressiveness to them. Rather, it's to love them. It's to love them, okay? I'm gonna read a few passages here to bring the point out about how we as Christians are to act with other Christians. And in fact, the gospel itself starts with an understanding that we're all sinners in need of a savior. We're all dead spiritually and absolutely have no hope outside of God intervening in our lives. That good news then brings about the remedy, which is Christ crucified, dying on the cross for our sins as a substitution for, our, for us, and then rising from the dead to prove it. Who else has ever risen from the dead? So let's read some passages. Galatians chapter six, verse one says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is love your neighbor as yourself, which is give up yourself serve others in humility to bring them to Christ. Okay, and we can just go on and on and on of what that law of Christ is. James chapter five, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save him, uh, save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. Uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We must be about one anothering. And that includes bringing areas of sin to light, not in judgment, but in love and gentleness. That is me and you. So if I'm in sin, I beg you to come to me in love and gentleness and bring that to my attention. And let's be honest, I may squirm and, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, if I'm truly born again, I will be convicted and I will humble myself by the power of the Holy Spirit and repent, confessing my sin, apologizing to those I may have offended and being restored, not saved because salvation comes through Christ. This is just favor with God. It's like being disciplined as a child. At the moment, your parent might be angry at you, but after, you know, dealing with the consequences, you're restored. Let's look at some more passages here. He Hebrews chapter three, starting in verse 12, it says, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now this word exhort means to urge by strong, often stirring arguments, admonition, 
advice, or appeal. So it's not non-confrontational. It is, quite frankly, confrontational. Exhort them. You need to stop that. You need to stop doing what you're doing. It's a sin against God. Now, I'm not judging you. I'm simply bringing that to light. Look at Scripture. It's what Scripture says. This is not what we, we do. Even if it feels good, even if it feels right, this is who I am. Well, then you need to change. I need to change because this is not who God has called us to be. Our identity is not in me. As a born-again believer, my identity is in Christ. I ought to represent who Christ is. And if Christ tells me this is right and this is wrong, then I ought to submit to that. If I'm going to call myself a Christian, a Christ follower. Hopefully you're with me. Let's look at Luke chapter 17. This is Christ talking now. And I pick up and it says, And he, Christ, and he said to his disciples, Temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now we're talking about the one who brings that temptation. We could argue the devil, but it could be a person motivated by the devil, but it could be a person to bring that temptation that causes the little ones to sin. Okay, and then it goes on and says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and then turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Brothers and sisters, this is an imperative, a command from Christ on how we, as Christians, ought to treat our brothers and sisters. We don't say, well, you've done this too many times and I don't even believe you anymore. Judgment is God's. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But that doesn't mean we just don't rebuke him and say, you did it again. What's going on here? But in love, not in absolute authoritative justice and knee on the back of the neck type thing. It's in an attempt to bring harmony between us and within the body of Christ. Okay. We can go off on that topic if, if you wanted me to. <laughs> so we need to care for one another. It's not, you know, Paul says, the apostle Paul says in Philippians, your, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not see equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a servant, humbled himself. We ought to esteem others more important than ourselves, Scripture says. Look out for the needs of others, while at the same time we're caring for ourselves, but primarily we should be focused on the outside, focused on them, as opposed to self-centered. Well, what about me? Okay, that is our demeanor that we ought to have all the time. But when we do that, when we live that way, we need to also recognize this is not gaining anything of our salvation. Our salvation is secured at Christ. 
if we believe. So what are these good works for? They're not to give us any opportunity to boast. They're not to, to allow us to go to the Lord and say, well, ta -ta 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 -ta, time out here. What about that time? Do you remember when I did this? No, that's <laughs> none of that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, but they are works that he has prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. So even these good works that we do, they're, they're not of us. They're not something we can hold on to and say, yeah, but what about this? This is a badge of honor. No, we don't have any opportunity to boast here. This is all a gift from God. If we pursue that mind, that thinking that no, 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 we have to go out and do these good works so God will be pleased with us as if it's a work of salvation, a work of righteousness. Not only did scripture not teach that, uh, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, uh, Titus 3, 5, and 6. So we cannot boast. We cannot go to the Lord and say, but look at me. I can jump off and we can look at a couple uh, parables to talk about that. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do miracles and cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, God will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That word knew is the, the Greek word gnosko, gnosko. And that means no knowledge of, but it also can, you know, there's a Jewish idiom that's that word is used in to talk about intercourse. So it, what it says about Mary and Joseph, when uh, Mary became pregnant and the angel visited Joseph and told Joseph, don't worry, this is all of God. He, you know, she didn't cheat and commit adultery. This is a miracle here. And they were betrothed to be married. And, and the scripture says, in King James English, Joseph did not know Mary until after Jesus was born. That word know is the Greek word gnosko. So the intent, the idea there is she, he did not have relationship with her until after Jesus was born. So in the context of depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you, same word, gnosko. It doesn't mean he didn't know who they were because he's God, God, the son. This is at the end of time at the judgment. He knew them. He knew who they were, but he did not have a relationship with them. An intimate love relationship, not sexual, but intimate love relationship. The children of God have that intimate relationship. Those that are rebellious and against God that have not responded to the gospel are not. That's the reality of scripture. That's the reality of truth. That's why the gospel is good news. Do you believe? Do you believe it? Galatians chapter three will continue. Verse one, it says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? 
Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh, by works? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, empty, for no reason, in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham, quote, believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I'll stop the passage there. If you recall the story of Abraham, he and Sarah were old, 90 plus years old, and they had never had kids, were not able to have kids. And God promised Abraham, you will have a son. And the fact is, it's impossible for them to have a son. They're too old. They're past childbearing age anyway. Plus, she was never able to have children. So this is impossible. But Abraham believed God. God said it, Abraham believed it, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In the same way, the gospel that Christ died as a substitutionary sacrifice for us in order that the debt we owed would be paid off completely and we could be saved. Do you believe? Do you believe that in faith? The faith comes from the Spirit. Grace comes from God. It's all the work of God. But do you believe you are hearing the gospel? Is it penetrating your brain that we are all sinners and Christ paid the debt of sin? And I believe he died and rose again. I believe it. Then you will be saved. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But don't find yourself back into works righteousness. That's what he's talking about here. You cannot save yourself. No matter how good you think you are. Brothers and sisters, we need not go back into works. Get your face back into the word of God. Prayerfully asking God to teach you. Let the Holy Spirit move in your heart to teach you. And open your eyes. Illuminate the truth that's in scripture. Don't look for ways to change scripture. Pray to God that God will change you to conform to scripture. That is our calling. Luke chapter 18, verse nine through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Again, another warning to the church, but also an eye-opening circumstance to maybe those that don't believe. Let's hear the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, which is a religious leader in Judaism, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, which was the despised of the culture. They were like the lowest of the low. They were the scammers and the cheaters, and they collected the taxes for the governor, but they skimmed off the top for themselves. So they added to the tax, oppressed the people, and they got away with it. The government didn't care because they got their tax. So whatever you want to do, go, go ahead. I don't care. Okay. So we are juxtaposed to a religious leader and then the sinner, the bad sinner. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, 
or, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to, of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven and beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Hmm. We need to be humble and contrite, genuine of heart. We need to understand. We need to look at the word of God like a mirror and let us see ourselves in reflection to what the scripture is telling us. And I guarantee you, you will see that you are flawed, that you have errors in your life. But God loved us, loved us so much. He sent his own son to die in our place to save us. The son lives. The son is rose again. The son is seated at the right hand of the father. So it's not like you think like just a sacrifice and what an unloving God. No, this was very loving, very loving for us because he cares for us. We need to be genuine of heart. We need to be humble and submissive, not exalting ourselves, but humbling ourselves and let the Lord do the work of exaltation according to his will and for his glory. Yet we need to prepare ourselves to fight against these lies, these deceptions that are out there. Scripture is our authority. The devil wants everything to do with destroying scripture. Let's screw it up. Let's mess around with it. Let's take away all the stuff that we don't like. That's not of God. That's of the enemy. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll pick up in verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Wow. Wow. Now, I would be foolish to think that we are the first generation to experience those that are turning away from the truth and gathering around themselves people that will tickle their itching ears or tell them what they want to hear. Because we can probably look in history and point at certain times in history where the people that lived in that time and that place probably thought the same way. But from my perspective, here and now, 2021 in America, 
that's happening now where people are foregoing the truth and they're gathering about themselves people that will tell them what they want to hear. Frightening. Frightening. I pray for you all. Please pray for us, for me, my family. And we need to be all about bringing the gospel to those that are lost and dying. As Jude says, snatch those that are destined to the fire and save them. This is our call, brothers and sisters. If we continue in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, it says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by it, I'm sorry, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So he's, he's dealing with false knowledge, but people are pursuing that knowledge. Okay. He says, avoid this irreverent babble. Avoid it. Don't get caught up in it and thus lose your focus. Stay focused on the, the how does he word it? Guard the deposit entrusted to you. You've been given the gospel. Guard it and take it out. Okay, take it out. Back to Timothy, 2 Timothy this time, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 1. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come, a time, come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. What a passage. It's interesting. Always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Last week, we were quoting from a gentleman, John Pavlovitz, and I requote him. There are no sacred cows, only the relentless sacred search for truth. Jesus dealt with that in his day, or, or Paul, Peter, where they rebuked, might have been Paul, where they rebuked the Jews always wanting a sign and the Greeks always wanted knowledge. Tell us something new. Hmm. And Paul says, but I, I preach to you Christ crucified, which is the good news. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. God did it all by paying the debt on the cross. That's what I teach you. But he goes on and says, this is foolishness to those who don't believe. It's madness. You got to be kidding me. Substitutionary death? No, I don't buy it. God came to earth, became a man. Nah, don't buy it. Okay, don't buy it. Isaiah 5, chapter 5, verse 20. I want you to listen, folks. Listen. Woe to those who call evil good 
and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Did you, did you hear that? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Hmm. A sinful lifestyle nowadays in our culture is just passe. It's normal. It's okay. In essence, calling evil good. An odd lifestyle, a different lifestyle. That's okay. That's, that's okay with them. So let it be, let it go. It's okay. It's good. Even though scripture is clear that what they're doing or saying or how they're acting is not good in God's eyes. We are not the moral compass. God is the moral compass. His word is our moral compass. We need to measure everything against the word, not to see if the word lines up, but to see how we line up. God is the standard. God is our standard. I'm going to leave us with a passage out of Ephesians chapter four. It's quite a long passage, chapter four into chapter five. But keep in mind this progressive Christianity. It embraces the LGBTQ plus folks, same-sex marriage, all number of what the Bible would say is sin. They embrace it. Now, it's one thing to reach out to those that are wrapped up in sin of any kind, not picking on LBGTQ plus or, or uh, BLM, you know, folks or anything like that. I believe racism is a sin. I believe, uh, you know, Christianity has found itself in a place over history where they've dabbled in those things like slavery and, and things like that. It's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin. And it needs to be repented of. So when we talk about progressive Christianity and their belief system, which is looking away from sinful things and basically calling sin not sin, calling evil good, for example, that is not lining up with scripture. We do not do that. And all of us wrestle with sin. All of us wrestle with sin and we need to repent and change. Repent means turn direction and stop doing it. We all need to do that. It doesn't matter the sin. That's not the important part. Oh, it's that sin. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. The wages of sin is death. Now, granted, there may be gradation of punishment based on the sin you've committed. If I've committed murder, one, one form of judgment could be the death penalty, for example, biblically speaking. But if I have slandered somebody, death penalty is not the penalty in scripture. However, the wages of sin is death. And we know that's reality because every one of us dies. So we need to be very careful when we understand sin to be sin, it is sin. We need to be 
careful in understanding that God lays out very clearly what is expected of us as moral creatures made in God's image. And we look at that like we look in a mirror and we realize we have deviated from that. So we've sinned. The wages of sin is death. So we have died spiritually and we are without hope outside of a savior, Jesus Christ. I'll end us with Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 25. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone that's in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Powerful. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Mm. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, 
and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hmm. Powerful, powerful. Friends, this movement called progressive Christianity is not really new. Prior to that, it was called the emergent church. And prior to that, it was called liberal Christianity. It's been around as long as Christianity has been around. Matter of fact, some of the passages we quoted today dealt with some of those liberal or false teachings that were trying to infiltrate the church. Some of it started with Judaism, what they called the Judaizers. And you can have Christ, but you need to get circumcised. You need to get back to obeying the law in order to be saved and righteous. In fact, you need to become Jewish, you Gentiles, before you can become born again or Christian. Not true. Not true. But remember, the gospel is good news for all of us. And we as Christians, we, we need to hear the good news regularly ourselves lest we forget. Over and over, Scripture reminds us to be reminded of all the things that God has done for us, especially in Christ. I want to thank you for joining me. I know some of these thoughts might cause us to really question, what do we believe? And praise the Lord for that. If it drives us right back to Scripture, to read for ourselves, to dig back in, just like Childers did, or Childers, sorry. And just like I have been doing, you can't sit there and read the Bible once and say, oh yeah, I've read the whole thing. I, I know what it says. That is just ain't, ain't true. God is far loftier than that. So when we read and reread and reread and reread and reread for a lifetime, God will teach us and grow us and mature us. So don't ever give up on that. Friends, I am so thankful that you joined me. I do appreciate you coming along. I want to encourage you to hit the subscribe button. If you've lasted with me this long, this uh, almost 50 minutes here, hit the subscribe button. Share this with others. Join into the conversation. Send me a message. Send me a, an email. We can't keep silent at gmail.com. Subscribe to the channel and hit the, hit the bell icon so that you'll be notified when I post the next episode. Hit the like button. Let me know that this content is meaningful to you. And again, share it with others. I look forward to having you all back next time. We're going to be looking at uh, biblical illiteracy, maybe. A couple articles that I came across that I think are pertinent and prudent, especially in light of this conversation, where we need to get ourselves back into God's word. We need to hear from God himself through his word. I trust that you will join me back, and I look forward to that. Until next time, be blessed.